Hey listeners, welcome to another episode of Brown Girls Read Podcast. This is your host Taman Tiwana. And this is Kathy Thakur. And both of us love reading books. On this podcast, we bring our favorite books to you and discuss the parts that were most meaningful to us and how we found them interesting or relatable as brown girls. Today, we are discussing The Henna Artist with the creator of The Henna Artist, Alka Joshi. If you have not yet listened to our previous episode, please go check that out for our discussion of her book, The Henna Artist. And we will get to our special segment after a quick word from our sponsors. Now it's time for your special treat listeners. Let's welcome Alka Joshi, the author of Henna Artist to Brown Girls Read podcast. Thank you for coming to our podcast, Alka. We are so delighted to have you here. And we're so excited to talk to you about The Henna Artist. Oh, I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much for allowing me to talk to your listeners. Oh, that's so wonderful. There were many things we wanted to know about the story and your inspiration behind the book. And honestly, we are so, so happy that the author, Alka Joshi, is here with us to shed light on some behind-the-scenes stuff. <laughs> well, how, how should we get started? What would you like to know? I have a question. I loved this book so much, mainly because of, you know, the main protagonist of the story. She's like so emotionally strong and a mentally brave woman. She took decisions for herself that even today, like some women would hesitate to take for fear of, you know, the backlash from the society. So she's definitely an inspiration to me. And especially being an Indian woman, you know, it's so hard to take those decisions. I wanted to know, did you have like some sort of inspiration or like, you know, did you base her on some real life character? Lakshmi is based on my mother's spirit. And my mother was a very resilient woman. She was an amazing person to, you know, get to know. Like she was somebody who could make lemonade out of lemons if that is all she had. She was extremely creative. She was an artist. She was also a great mother to my brothers and me in the sense that she allowed us complete freedom to become whatever we wanted, to do whatever we wanted with our lives. And when I was four years old and we were living in Rajasthan and my brothers were six and three, my grandmother came to visit. My father's mother that was my mother noticed that she was spooning more food onto my brother's plates than on mine and she said to my grandmother what are you doing and my grandmother said well they're boys they need more food and my mother said no not in my house in my house my girl gets exactly the same as my boys and i think that was uh that was the tenor in which she raised all three of us i was never second best I was never the girl who was told to go get water because my brothers were thirsty. I was never the girl who was told, you're going to have to learn how to cook in order to find a husband for you. No, what my mother told me is you need to become financially self-sufficient. You need to figure out a way that you are always going to be able to take care of yourself because, you know, life is unpredictable. So you should always have that as a way of knowing that you will always have your independence. And I think that that is Lakshmi's journey as well. She is always trying to gain her independence, both financially and also, I think, 
emotionally and mentally from some of these guilt feelings that she's been carrying around all these years for having done something that did defy societal expectations. And it's really amazing. Like the way <laughs> you have written her character and listening to you, how you have taken inspiration from your own mother and your real life. And kudos to your mom for raising you the way she did because I am from Punjab. So I know North Indians are not known for that. Yeah. <laughs> no, this is true. We are from the very conservative part of India, you know, where yeah. people are still raised very traditionally. And I don't know where my mother got her fighting spirit, but she always had it. She always had her fighting spirit and she had dignity. She would not let people put her down. When we came to the United States and people would ask her strange questions like, well, what did you do before there was dry cleaning for your saris? And my mom said, I don't know. What did your mother do before there was dry cleaning? <laughs> you know, my mother just would not put up with people thinking her as less than. She always had dignity and she always told me, Alka, you have the ability to be whatever you want. You have power and you have intelligence and you can do anything that you set your mind to. I was always kind of skeptical. Like I, I didn't want to believe that that could really be true. But I think it, the, at the age of 62, I'm finding out that, <laughs> hey, I actually am in exactly the place that I was meant to be now. And I think that my mother and father both helped me get here. That's amazing wow, to hear. That's, yeah, that's so, that's so amazing to hear. <laughs> and I think all girls need to get that message to truly become themselves in life. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, the messages instead that we girls always receive is don't be too loud. Keep your voice down. Don't be too ambitious. I got that a lot when I was in the corporate world. You are just so ambitious, Alka. You shouldn't let people know how ambitious you are. Well, men get to be ambitious. Men don't get scolded for how ambitious seeming they are. And so why was I being scolded for that? It's just so unfair. Like every trait that men are celebrated for, women are sort of reprimanded for the same things. Exactly the same thing. And, it, you know, it even shows up in the way that women describe Lakshmi. You know, they all love Lakshmi, right? The, the readers of this book, they love Lakshmi because she is smart and because she is planning her future. But some of them will say she seems so calculating and manipulative. Well, really, if she were a man, here is how we would say it. We would say, oh, he's so strategic and forward thinking. He is planning yes. ahead. And even in the ways then that we describe ourselves, we put ourselves down because that's the way we've always heard other women be described if they are being a little too ambitious or stepping ahead of where we think they should be. Yeah. This reminds me of something me and Kathy we talked about recently. It's almost like if we see a woman too happy with herself or very confident, even women start putting her down. How is she so happy? Or like, how can be fully satisfied with herself? It's like, yeah. as a society, we have cultivated this. Yeah. And it's, and it's sad. I think it's sad that, you know, we women don't always support each other because we should. Yes. And this is something that I want to show, you know, Lakshmi is always supporting other women. 
she's helping Kanta because Kanta desperately wants a child. And even though Lakshmi doesn't want children, she's more than happy to help other women achieve their dreams of having a child. So Absolutely. I wanted to show that, you know, there are women like Lakshmi who actually can be very supportive of other women in their lives. Yes, we need more examples of that for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Going really deep into character and really understanding how they think about things, that takes time. And I think that's one of the reasons why this novel took me so much time. I had to really think about, at each step of the way, these characters have to become real to me as an author so that they become real to you as a reader. And every step of the way, I have to think, okay, how are they processing what is happening in front of them? How are they thinking about what this character is saying to them? What are they feeling about it? What is physically what's happening in their body? Because you know how sometimes when you're angry, you feel heat come up to your face. So what is that physical sensation that this character is feeling at this very minute? I had a lot of those types of things that I had to explore in order for a reader to really understand the character. And also in order for me to understand how this character would react in any given situation. That was super important too. I'm always curious, like when an author like you writes a book or starts to write a novel, do you like create a character outline for each character or like do you assign specific traits to a character or like do you write situations in which they would behave this way? Like what is the process like? Well, I think every author has a different process. And when I first started writing, I didn't do any of that character building or character outline. I just started with a scene in my head. And the first scene in my head always was Lakshmi painting Parvati's feet. And the reason for that is because I wanted to establish that relationship, that class and socioeconomic distinction between a woman who comes to serve in a household and a woman who is the mistress of the household. So I wanted to set up that dynamic first of all. And that scene came to me first. Then as I started building that scene and then another scene after it, and then this whole idea that when Hari comes into the picture and Radha comes into the picture, I wanted to establish that scene and how what that was going to say about each of them. So as I started building this, one of my instructors said to me, you know, it would be really helpful for you if you started to build backstories for each of these characters, where they came from, when they were born, do they have siblings? Do each of these characters like to swim? Do they like to pick berries? You know, just think about very unusual kinds of things, unique things that this particular character wants to do. So I started building backstories. And for me, a lot of that is very visual because I am an artist first and foremost. So I have to form pictures in my head of each of these characters. So I would look through magazines and I would look through the internet and I would see pictures and I would go, oh, that looks just like I think what Lakshmi would look like. Oh, that looks just like I think what Radha would look like. So I started building this kind of character outline as you put it, but starting with a visual of that character first. And then I would start detailing little things about their background that I might know. And the interesting thing about that is that you don't end up using all of the information that you just built about this character. What's going to happen is that little bits and pieces of what you just built are going to show up later in different scenes. And all of a sudden in that scene, 
you're going to be able to say in the character's mind, oh, I remember when my mother-in-law helped me with that little bulbul that I found, that little bird with a broken wing, and she helped me nurture it, and she you know, told me that um, we couldn't find her eggs, we couldn't do anything for her young, but we'd be able to help the little bird heal. And so these things just come up. Once you build those, build those stories, these things start coming up in the scenes and helping you build more of that character as you go along with the book. That is so fascinating to hear, like the process of, you know, character building, something that we have never been told, actually. So yeah, this thank is you very for... interesting, yeah, especially yeah. like the way you visually see it. I'm actually picturing right now you with like a bunch of faces and stuff around you. Yeah. And, you know, not only faces, but I would um, grab pictures of houses that I think they live in. So I would also want to visualize their setting. And maybe I, I find a picture, like I found a picture that I thought, oh, I think the Sings would live in this kind of house. And then what that does is that allows me later on when I describe the house, I'm actually describing this photograph that I'm looking at. So it helps you with descriptions when you actually have visual references for each of your characters. Since we are kind of discussing your process, I found that very interesting that since this is your first book and your past experience, at least according to Google, was very corporate and marketing. So I see writing a fictional book as very creative process. And I'm not saying other jobs are not, but in my head, I don't see like a direct bridge from (laughs) corporate (laughs) to like, you know, becoming an author. Well, I think, uh, you know, in my family, I am the only artist. And so from a very young age, I was always drawing. I would draw everything. I would draw on anything. I would draw with anything. And uh, my parents always used to wonder, I wonder where she got that ability. Because my mother was creative in other ways, but not, you know, she wasn't uh, an artist in terms of drawing. Mm -hmm. I think because of that, I started to see the world a lot more visually than other people. And I would always use my imagination to fill in the pieces of my drawing that I couldn't actually see. So like if I was inventing a house, let's say a scene, a house with, you know, little kids or uh, people, you know, then I would build a story around them. And then maybe the kids are on bicycles and there's a gardener and he's watering the lawn. And, you know, so my imagination would fill in some of these visual pieces in my drawings. So when I went to get my first job in advertising, I really thought I would be an art director, which is the visual part of the creative process. And that is not what they hired me for. They said that your portfolio shows us that you can actually write. And I said, yeah, but I want to be an art director. And they said, well, we have a position for a writer. So we'd really like to hire you as a writer because you're good at this. And I think other people saw what I couldn't see for myself, which is that, frankly, I can do both. Mm -hmm. I can be visually creative and I can write something that is also creative. So in my job in advertising, you know, you need both. You need to be able to do both in order to write commercials or produce radio spots or do print ads for magazines. So I think I was using both parts of my skills for that. So you see, now that I'm writing, 
that's exactly what I've done in the henna artist. I have evoked all of these sensory experiences so that I can actually, as I write, I am smelling, I am feeling, I am touching, I am tasting, and I'm hearing all of the sounds of India. You know, it's easy for me to put it on the page. Even as readers, I think I was back in India. And like when you mentioned rabdi in it, I think I was like, okay, yeah. now I need rabdi. <laughs> uh, you know, I love Matai. I just love it. I, I love Halwa. I love Kheer. I, I, and so I, I picked rabdi only because it's so, it takes so long to make. And so oh. we needed some kind of a reason for the Maharani to scold her chef who mm-hmm. has not in cooking the way that she liked to have food seasoned. And so how can she scold him? Oh, I know, I'm gonna make him slave over a hot, uh, hot stove <laughs> for two hours to make this remedy. So I needed that particular suite in order to make that. <laughs> for me, it was like a trip to my childhood because my grandmother used to make rabri for us whenever we oh. would visit. So I was like, oh wow, this is like so nostalgic at the same time. <laughs> And so um, let me explain also that the foods of India are used in the novel as a stand-in for other things. So for example, the rabri is a stand-in for how the older Maharani exerts her power. She doesn't have any real direct power. She only has certain things that she can influence. And this is something that she can influence. The bird, her talking parakeet, is another thing. So she was married to a man, a Maharaja, who did not let her have her own children. But you know what? He dies. She gets this parakeet, and she names him after her husband. And now she's ordering that parakeet around in a way that she never got to order her (laughs) husband around when he was alive. Yeah, that Um, was a great touch. (laughs) (laughs) And then even the foods that Lakshmi is feeding her ladies, you know, each one of those foods that I mentioned I wanted to have a purpose for it. So for example, she is feeding her ladies things that will help with their arthritis or gastric issues or joint pain or whatever. But she's also feeding them because I wanted to show that power dynamic, that difference between a woman who has everything and a woman who has to serve this other Mm -hmm. client. Does that make sense? Is that Yes, absolutely. And yeah. those are like great tips for anyone who wants to write. So thank you for sharing those. Sure. Yeah. Um, and at this point, I want to just come back to story a little bit. One thing that really stood out to me was something that you wrote about shame and the whole Lokya Kahenge phenomena that we have. And I'm just going to read your quote from the book. In India, individual shame did not exist. Humiliation spread as easily as oil on wax paper to the entire family, even to distant cousins, uncles, aunts, nieces, and nephews. When I was reading this, I was very curious to know what your experiences would be like. How did this shame, this lokya kahenge, mentality manifest in your life or how have you seen it well i remember oftentimes my father when he wanted us to say something or do something in public his suggestion would always be what will people say if you don't do this what will people say if you if you do do this what are other people going to think he was always concerned with how, what other people were going to think 
Um, I don't remember my mother saying that quite as often, but I do remember my father saying that. I also remember my mother would often be chided for, you know, why is your daughter so skinny? Why doesn't she talk more? She should talk more. Here in the West, you wouldn't think about telling a woman that kind of thing about her child. <laughs> but in India, people feel perfectly free saying that to you because it's an accepted part of societal behavior yes. that you can tell anybody what you think about what they should be doing, especially if they're elder to you. Yes. I think that's kind of where that comes from. I'm very acutely aware whenever I go to India, it is all about group dynamic. It's all about what the group thinks rather than what the individual wants to do or wants to think. It is all about what people around you are going to say. It's all about what yeah. your you know, relatives are going to think if you do a certain something. I think I'm acutely aware of lots of things, both in this culture in the West and in the East. And I think that's because I'm a byproduct of both cultures. You know, here in the West, people are fascinated by the caste system. They don't understand what the caste system is. They are always asking questions about the caste system and making judgments about the caste system. And what they don't realize themselves here in the West is they have their own system of differentiating between socioeconomic classes and jobs. Many of them have really comfortable lives and they have a gardener whom they really like, but that gardener is not coming to dinner at their house. Their gardener is not coming to lunch. So I think people are often blind to what they find repulsive in another culture or what they find unacceptable in another culture and not realizing that maybe they have something very similar in their own culture. Right. Uh, since you said you're an artist and you're creative, uh, did you design the cover of this book? No, this is one of the things that you realize when you're an author. There are some things you have no control over, and one of them <laughs> is the cover. So I, I asked my agent, I go, am I going to get to design the cover? And she said, oh, no, 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 no. There's a whole department at the publishers where this is all they do, and they know how to design a cover that's going to attract a reader. So I was kind of reluctant about looking at the PDF that they sent me with all the different cover designs. I thought, oh no, what if it's just awful and I hate it, I hate it, oh no. <laughs> and so um, before I opened the PDF, I called my husband over and I said, will you just stand here while I open this so I don't have a heart attack? <laughs> so I opened it and this was the, the cover, the cover that you see now is the first yeah. one that I saw on the PDF and I just loved it. And so this is almost like Lakshmi walking through the Jaipur Palace, which is exactly what we wanted, right? Yeah, that turned out to be a fabulous thing. Another thing that you don't really have control over is the uh, title. So, Oh, did you have a different title in mind? I did. Um, my title was going to be Enemy of the Crocodile because there is a proverb in the book, which, by the way, I had so much fun with the proverbs in the book. <laughs> you know, my dad is always talking in proverbs. I don't know about your parents or your grandparents, but, you know, it's very common in India they to do. talk in proverbs, right? Yes. Even my mom, sometimes we are like, can't you just say it in simple language? <laughs> <laughs> you have to turn everything into an analogy. <laughs> So the proverb is only a fool stays in the water and remains an enemy of the crocodile because this oh, is I really think Kathy Lakshmi. Loved this one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes, I, have... proverbs, I think Kathy really loved this one. <laughs> I, I created a list of all the proverbs in the book. 
<laughs> because I love that. Oh, I love that one because I thought, well, that's Lakshmi's motto. She is trying never to be an enemy to these ladies whose charity she really depends on, you know, whose business she depends on. But in the end, guess what happens? She becomes an enemy of Parvati and that is her downfall, right? So um, I wanted the title to be Enemy of the Crocodile. And they said, no, we just, we're just going to call it the henna artist. <laughs> I said, okay. You know, I fought for it a little bit, but they had a point. They said that you're a debut novelist. We need for your book to telegraph immediately what the book is about. We can't have it be obscure. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay, all right. So that's another thing that I, I didn't really uh, have a say-so in. But the recipes I always wanted in the book. I, I wanted actually to put more recipes, but we ran out of pages. My, <laughs> that was like my one favorite. of the favorite things for me in the end. I was like, oh, wow, there are recipes in this. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, I really wanted, um, you know, I love aloo gobi kisabji. And so oh, I really <laughs> wanted uh, to have that be the recipe, uh, one of the recipes in the back. But, nah, you know, you can only do so much. But maybe in the sequel we'll get a chance to put more recipes. More recipes. We'll be looking forward to that. <laughs> oh, that's going to be fun. That is going to be fun because, you know, everybody has their favorite in the book. And in the sequel, it is Malik who gets to tell his story. And then oh, in wow. The third, yeah. So you're and already the, working on it? Oh, yeah. It'll, it's, um, I'm doing the edits right now that my editor sent me. And they'll be publishing it hopefully next year. Oh, wow. That's so exciting. So this is going to be a trilogy. And the third one is going to be about Radha. I don't know how much I can give away in this podcast, but something that happens to her in this first book is going to come back to haunt her in the third book. I think we can guess it. <laughs> <laughs> I read, I think, a Reese's Book Club article that you had an alternate ending for the book. Yes. and. I personally prefer the way book is now, but yeah. what made you pick the ending the way it is? Okay, so now once again, I have my editor to thank for that because one of the things she wanted me to look at more closely was Hari's character. Hari's character, she said, was the least developed of all of the characters. Hari was all bad and no good. He had no redeeming qualities. And she said, all your other characters, they have good in them and they have bad in them and they seem fully developed. But Hari is not. And uh, I thought, okay, well, you know, I can see that after Lakshmi left, he might have had to help his mother. And in that process, he becomes more aware of why she helps all of these women who come to her. And I think he might have developed some empathy. He actually has been redeemed. And we see this other side of him. And now because we're seeing this other side of him, we realize that not only has Lakshmi changed over time, but maybe Hari has also then in that time changed. And I think through that learning, they can both forgive each other. So they needed to say goodbye to each other and to forgive each other. And that's why the ending is the way that it is. I think Hari's character arc was actually my favorite personally because it makes you feel some sort of hope, you know, that not everyone is bad. Like you can redeem yourself by doing good things or by opening up to new ideas and new things. 
I didn't know about the alternate ending at all until Daman mentioned. I like this ending because it made sense for Hari and her to say goodbye one last time. Right. Well, that's where I had ended it. And once again, my editor said, now we need an epilogue. We need an epilogue that shows us that Lakshmi gets to where she needs to go and she arrives safely. So I thought, okay. So I started imagining that. And immediately I could see the Shimla train station. I could see Dr. Kumar standing there. I could see all the people that she had helped standing there. And it just like, it was just so visually rich. And I just started writing that down. I just started writing down everything I was seeing in my imagination. You've done such a great job because I could picture Shimla when I was reading (laughs) here. I could picture it. Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. Providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space. So you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. I recently joined as a member and you can too. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at p-o-d-g-o dot c-o. No, this is not a Lion King podcast. This is also not a show full of fun bedtime stories to lull your kids to sleep at night. This is Legendary Africa, an African myths and legend podcast that travels all over the continent to bring you the greatest, weirdest, and scariest stories from the birthplace of humankind. Join sisters Tashira and Nishalia every Monday and Friday for a wild ride, guaranteed to keep you wide awake and in stitches. Learn about the mysterious werehyenas of Somalia, the heroic dragon-slaying princess Takane, the flesh-eating spirits of the Congo, and much more. Find Legendary Africa on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And remember, stay safe, stay sexy, and stay legendary. And I always, I really firmly believe that when one door closes, another door opens. I always have believed that, and it's been true in my life. And so it's true in Lakshmi's life. So I put that in Lakshmi's life. You know, her entire business goes by the wayside. But look at what happens. It starts a whole new career for her. Hopefully, maybe a whole new relationship with this Dr. Kumar. It helps her reevaluate what her goals had been and what they should have been all along and maybe what they can be for the future. Yeah, that's why I love the ending so much. I think I wanted a little more of it. <laughs> what do you mean you wanted a little more? A little more of their love story. <laughs> yeah, like Dr. Kumar and Lakshmi. Like, do we get to see more of them in the sequel? Absolutely. You get to see everybody in the sequel. Yay. So it's 12 years later, and you will meet up with all of those people again. The third book will be 10 years later, and you will meet up with all of those people again. Oh, wow. So, yeah. And then, of I'm course, I'm so happy you- to learn that this is a trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a wonderful world for me to live in as a writer. I really like going into their world, and I think that's what makes it uh, really easy for me to write. But yes, you will see all those same characters. And for Dr. Kumar, my inspiration for him was my husband, because I think my husband is a very gentle and emotionally adept man. He is always there for me, and I would not have become a writer if it hadn't been for him. So I owe him a lot, you know, for That's that. so sweet. 
That's the all. best character of the book is based on your husband. Yeah. And <laughs> My... who's your favorite character in the book? I mean, you have created all those characters. So they're like probably so dear to your heart. But so, you know, I, I really, I love Lakshmi. There's so many parts of Lakshmi that are also me because I can't write about the first person without also injecting my own thoughts in there. And one of the main thoughts that I wanted to project through Lakshmi is that it's okay for a woman to be childless. It's okay for a woman to go through life and be fulfilled in many other ways other than being a wife and other than being a mother. And this is so important to me to let little girls and younger women know that this is a life they can have. And it doesn't mean that they will be lonely in their lives. It doesn't mean that no one will take care of them as they get older. Because as Lakshmi does, I've been able to create a sort of family of my own. That's a great message. And I think me and Kathy have talked about this as well, like all the pressure the society has. And it's so important for these messages to be around young girls, especially that, you know, you don't need to be a cookie cutter image of every other woman. You can be yourself. Yeah. I want young girls to just find themselves first before they go out for that other life. I want them to find who they are, what they like to do, what gives them pleasure, and what's going to fulfill them before they start thinking about families, wishes, and what they have to fulfill in their families' lives. So I have one more question. Like I said, I loved all the proverbs that you put in the book. Which ones were your favorite? So I love the crocodile one. Mm -hmm. Only a fool stays in the water and remains an enemy of the crocodile. I also love that one. One who cannot dance blames the floor because, (laughs) you know, it is so true that people want to hold everyone else responsible for what they have shortcomings about. So do you say these in Hindi and then you translated these? No, I I don't. I don't think I can. Because we were doing that exercise. Kathy was pointing out the (laughs) proverb and I was like, I think it's called this in Hindi. It's Oh, really? Oh, so you guys did the the opposite. You went from the English to the Hindi? Yeah. Yeah. I was trying to remember. We have read some of these in school, I think. So we were like, oh, this seems like that one. (laughs) My dad's always coming up with new ones all the time. And I go, hey, dad, what does that one mean? Where does that one come from? (laughs) Isn't it interesting that, that they used to talk so much in Proverbs? We don't do that so much anymore, right? Your generation probably doesn't, do they? Yeah. No. But it is kind of cool, you know, to be able to talk in Proverbs. It's almost like speaking poetry or something. Because yeah, my mom still does. And sometimes even like when she's angry at us, she'll say some like proverb which conveys the meaning <laughs> instead of being directly angry. And we are there like, how did you come up with this? <laughs> and I think talking in proverb also like you feel like so wise and so smart. So... <laughs> Children don't have any, you know, rebuttal against it. They're like, okay, that makes oh, that's, that's a good point. That's right. It just stops you. It's like, oh, okay. All right, mom, whatever you say. I think my favorite one was, what is the use of crying when the birds have eaten the whole farm? Yeah, no, I think it's so true. You know, you guys, I had, uh, let's see, I had a, an ovarian cyst removed when I was 28. And my mother came down from Canada to take care of me in uh, California here. It was so painful, you know, because it was an abdominal surgery and it really hurt. And they want you to start walking as quickly as you can so that you get your muscles trained again to move. And so I was out there with my mom. She was helping me walk around the block. And halfway around the block, I just said, Mom, I can't do it. This is so painful. And my mother said, 
honey, you need a lot more courage than this to get through life. Wow. So I said, okay, mom, I'll start moving again. <laughs> <laughs> That's so profound. All right, you guys, you are lovely. Thank you so much for contacting me. I, I really like your initiative. I like the fact that you reached out and uh, I think that takes a lot of courage. And I know that you too will have a lot of courage in your life and you will have many, many successes because you have passion in your life about what you want to do. I love that. Thank you so much, Alka, for being a guest on our show and sharing your process and stories with us. It has been so much fun talking to you. We really appreciate having you here with us. And it was so great to talk to you about our culture and the book and the story of Lakshmi. And we are so looking forward to the sequels of the book. You guys, it's been so lovely talking to you. This was our discussion on the henna artist by Alka Joshi. It's a beautiful, vivid portrayal of post-independence India and the courage and strength of an ambitious woman. We both absolutely love this book and totally, totally recommend it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Brown Girls Read Podcast. If you like what you hear, please leave us a five-star rating and a comment. You can support us at anchor.fm slash browngirlsread slash support. Your support will allow us to continue this podcast and bring more episodes to you. Also, don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Instagram, Brown Girls Read Pod. And if you have book recommendations for us, you can leave us a comment or message on Instagram. For our next episode, we are reading Atomic Habits by James Clear. We hope you'll be reading with us and until then, keep listening! listening.